Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on animal welfare certified bone-in beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie and ground lamb. Grab an olive boule bread from the bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Good evening. Welcome to this episode of the Under the Helmet Podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Biggs. Ownership at many levels in semi-pro is an interesting venture. You have many different types of owners. Some aren't really participatory. Some do it for prestige. My guest today actually cares about her franchise, her players, and sport in general. Tanisha Richmond owns the Nashville Elite. Good evening, Tanisha. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, welcome. Anytime. Now, last year, your first season at PDFL, how would you describe that first season? Um, the first season, uh, league-wise, was amazing. We were glad to be in a league that was so well organized and so well put together. So, um, that part of it was amazing. You know, as far as the team in general, I mean, uh, to be quite blatantly honest, it was our worst season to date. Um, so there were a lot of trials that we had to really try to overcome to get through that season, but. Um, we did, uh, and we've come through it on the other side. I think a better organization for it. What lessons did you learn going or emerging from last season? Um, I'd say the primary lesson was how to fight through adversity uh, because it's easy to be a player, an owner, a coach, or whatnot when the team is winning and when everything is going well and when um, the record reflects who you perceive your team to be. But it's not so easy when um, the road gets tough and and you're questioning uh, why things are going the way they are. So we really learned um, to be able to get through adversity and we learned who was, you know, truly loyal to the organization and the brand and, you know, what we could do to always develop and be better. And again, I'm, I'm glad to say that we're coming in on the upside of that. 
Now, you mentioned being loyal to the brand. Now, you are, you've been around Semi-Pro a very long time. You know, mm-hmm. you've seen the, the messiness. How have the mm-hmm. elite, and how have you guided the elite to stay above the fray? Oh, absolutely. Um, primarily, the one thing is that I always encourage them to remember what the definition of elite is. And um, by definition, it is set apart and it is different. And we always try to re- remind our guys that we're here for a purpose and it's not to be in anything that is not going to propel you forward. Um, if it's not something that's going to be beneficial to an opportunity for you to advance your career, whether it be collegiately, professionally, or even recreationally, um, it's not something that we participate in, as simple as that. And we're okay with allowing people to not be a part of our organization or our brand, regardless of their talent level, if their character level doesn't match what our organization stands for. And um, in doing so, for the most part, we've been able to keep ourselves very much so apart and away from any of the, what we like to call shenanigans um, of football that can happen at this level. And we try to focus on quality of player and staff as opposed to quantity um, just for looks and likes in the show. Now, one of the things you said that you emphasized the brand and you you made it clear that they are a brand. Why do you think a lot of owners fail at that? Um, Because a lot of people's purpose and reasoning for being at this level of football vary. Um, when you get into this level of football and you're looking for self-edification and you're looking to glorify yourself or you're looking to try to make a quick book or any reason other than that of the success of your players and staff, you are easily lost um, in the shuffle of what this level can be. Um, and if you don't focus on that, it, it can be it can come and go. Um, you also have to make sure that your players are held accountable and um, they're playing for the organization and not just themselves. And when you really, really focus on making that the focus in general, it becomes a little bit easy to do. And most importantly, and what I always tell my guys is that we're not just a team. Number one, we're a family and we're an organization. And so we treat as a, we treat each other as such. And, you know, there's a level of respect that goes both ways. So the respect that I require of my guys is the same respect that I give them. So we rarely if ever have any issues in that regard. And so I feel like a lot of teams come through not realizing the work that comes behind that and the time and the effort and the patience that comes along with it. And it's, it can easily and very quickly fall apart when the guys have no reason to be loyal to um, the organization in itself because they have no feeling of, of unity or family or anything of that nature. So it's easy for them to let it go. What is your biggest pet peeve that you see around Semi-Pro? Not from what the elite does, but from the sport in general, things you've seen other teams do in general that just kind of irritates you. Uh I mean, I don't know that we have enough time for <laughs> for that particular list. Um, there is so, so many things. Um, but I guess one of the primary things that I see sink so many ships when it comes to this level is egos. Um, I feel like a lot of people use this level to try to be something that they never were before. So, you know, that guy that never really played in high school or that guy that 
never could start because they were behind somebody else that was just, you know, the superstar or whatever it may be. So they tried to take this level and use it to relive their glory days or to try to get that championship that they never could get, you know, or whatever it may be. So that that's just one of the many, many things that I see. But that ego situation, I've seen it sink a many a ship. When did you know that this is what you want to do, like be a semi-pro owner? What was your aha moment? You know what? I want to do this. Okay. Well, the the short version of that story (laughs) is when I was about 25 years old, I was a foster parent through an organization called Youth Villages that specialized in adoption and fostering of older children primarily. And um, I adopted a son and a daughter, and my son stumbled across semi-pro here. and I quickly realized that it was something that could be utilized for more than just recreation. He was in a situation to where he wanted to play football and continue to do so, but because of various reasons, he couldn't go to school to do so. And here in Tennessee, unfortunately, there are no JUCOs that have football teams. So um, we figured out really quickly that we could use this level to try to propel guys forward who may be in similar situations as he was. And the teams that were here at that point in time, that's just not what they were for. They were purely recreational. So after I got my feet wet for a couple of years working with another organization and league, um, Nashville Elite was born in 2014 and officially debuted in 2015. Now, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about room for growth. We're going to kind of dive into an HBCU football situation. And you're going to fix your Tennessee Titans because <laughs> they're still the hottest of the best, but that's after break. You're listening to the under the helmet podcast on the FPC radio network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price. Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We are back with our podcast, Terrence Biggs, and Richmond of the Nashville Elite. Where would you say, semi-pro in general, the biggest room for growth exists? Um, The biggest room for growth to me would be for people to really use it for the purposes that it can be that allow it to be here for longer. So if your organization is helping young men get to other levels of football that are attainable without selling them dreams, um, if you're using it to really get out into the communities and really um, partner with some of these other youth organizations, et cetera, to make it more than just showing up on weekends to play a game. That I think is where there can be a lot more growth because there's plenty of teams out there that are available to do all of those things. And to be more involved, it's just a matter of us actually pushing 
them to do so. So I think that that area in particular is one where we could grow in general. Now, when you look at just just the sport in general, if you were named commissioner of all semi-pro, all of it, like all America, they came to you and said, you know what, lead us. What are three things you would do first? Um, Honestly, I'd probably first say no. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But um, um, one, I would actually try to come up with a system that makes it actually one big entity, because right now that doesn't exist. There is no one body that governs all of semi-pro. Um, so I, w- I would definitely say that would be one, to make it more united, to get everybody on the same page as far as um, what it means to actually be a semi-pro or what we call ourselves an amateur team, to make sure that everyone's blueprint per se is is along the same lines so that there is consistency across the board. And um, the third thing is kind of related back to something I mentioned before is just accountability, you know, making sure that if you're an owner, that you're held accountable for the things that an owner should be doing. And the same thing with players and coaching staffs, et cetera, just putting everybody at a level that requires them to actually put forth effort and work in their organizations and making sure that they're just that and not just some guys hanging out on the weekend together. Now you are a proud alumna of Tennessee state university. I am. There have been several incidences as far as HBCU sports. We'll go one by one. First, we'll start with the Mm -hmm. Deion Sanders thing. Were you Mm -hmm. surprised the amount of backlash he received for leaving for Colorado? Was I surprised? No, Um, I wasn't surprised. And that's because Particularly if you are an HBCU grad, you know firsthand that there's a lot of emotion tied to your HBCU and to your HBCU experience. And people are very, very much so emotionally tied to their football and band programs. So um, when he left, it didn't shock me that there was so much backlash because people um, looked at it as um, they felt like they were used like, oh, the HBCU thing was hot and buzzing at the moment. So we were used as a stepping stone to get elsewhere. And that's how a lot of people felt, Um, not necessarily myself, but that's how people felt. And I understood the level of emotion and the level of backlash that they had, whether I agreed with it or not is, you know, neither here nor there, but it certainly didn't surprise me that it was there. Now, next you have the Ed Reed situation with Batum Cookman where, he walked around facilities in his mind. They weren't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. The two-part question is this. Knowing sure. that Ed handled it wrong, are you surprised that they didn't, the school didn't want to ratify his contract? And two, how bad of a look is that to have the school admit that things are wrong, but then have no plan to fix them? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as stated, to go back to the first part, it doesn't shock me that the school responded the way that they did only because there's really, that's not unique to HBCUs. There's really not any job in the world that you can not even have signed your contract yet, drag them on social media and then expect everything to be kosher. So that part of it doesn't shock me. Um, You know, on the flip side of that, that school just is in the midst of recovering from a hurricane. Um, And so it's not a shock that things aren't going to be up to par 
Um, the shocker, which leads into the second part, is that there is no plan in place to um, fix it, per se. Um, yes, we all know there are deep-seated reasons and long-standing reasons why the facilities are in the shape they in, were in prior to any of that happening, you know, but as you know, we try to move HBCUs forward, you know, it's imperative that there's leadership in place that have vision and have um, forethought and foresight and know that it's imperative that there are things in place to make sure that the Mm -hmm. universities are taken care of, not just today, but in the future as well. So there just is, there needs to be um, leadership in place that is visionary and that is able to see past the surface and past the right now to really be able to propel their um, universities into the future. And, you know, while I think, um, you know, it may have not handled it in the best way, I also think that it could have been a learning situation for both parties and that hopefully the school could have worked with him in a different way to get through that and get past it. You know, unfortunately, that wasn't the case and it played out the way that it did. So I'm hoping that both can use it as a learning experience to try to better both situations. Now, one of the other HBCU topics is everything that happened at Albany State with the football coach and extending an offer to a Florida commit named Marcus Stokes, who was called on video using the N-word singing along with a song. I guess I have a couple-part question. One, should the coach have apologized? Two, were you stunned at the amount of forgiveness that was shown to the player by the fans and alum of Albany State in two and three, basically. What does it say that uh, PWI kicked the kid off campus, but he was accepted at, well, not accepted, but there were fans of HBCU that were willing to look the other way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's That's kind of a loaded question because there's a lot of different facets that go into that. Um, one, there are many uh, who don't necessarily take issue with people outside of the African-American race using that particular slur that supposedly this young man um, said. So if you have people that don't take issue with it, then of course they're not going to take issue with the fact that he was um, brought into uh, an HBCU to play football. That's one. As far as the coach is concerned, a lot of the times when it comes to the coaches, their concern is who's going to produce on the football field. That's their number one concern. And anything that's happening outside of that socially, they're not always the most on top of or not necessarily even aware of um, some of the things that may be happening in that regard. So as far as bringing them in, apology, I mean, we're just in a day and age to where whether we felt like he needed to or not, he kind of has to. That's just the era that we live in. We live in an era of cancel culture and uh, heightened sensitivities to many things. So whether we felt like he should or not, it's it's one of those you kind of have to just because of the um, the situation in and of itself. And um, what was the remainder of the third portion of the question you asked me? Basically, are you shocked that uh, – oh, pretty much in – PWI kicked the kid off of or yeah. uh, declined his commit and right. he was able to go free. Right. And no, I'm not shocked by that at all. Um, when it boils down to it, there is no 
PWI or any other entity right now that wants to deal with anything that makes them even remotely look like they could tolerate anything that could even be perceived as racist and they want no parts of it. And so it doesn't shock me one bit. Um, That would be virtually the reaction that I would expect of any of them. Um, given the situation, just because, again, as you know, as they say, you know, they don't want any smoke when it comes to that. So the safe reaction is to just get rid of it and not deal with it. Now, I got a couple of questions about your beloved Tennessee Titans. You are a Tennessee Titans fan. Now, I got a few questions. One, they had an uneven year where their defense wasn't bad. They were like 14th Mm -hmm. in the league in, I think, uh, points allowed, but they were 28th as far as points scored do you mm-hmm. believe in Malik Willis being the future or would, would you like to see them draft another quarterback um I absolutely don't want to see us draft another quarterback that that's a definite um I'm from the school of thought that I don't care who we have back there you can name any quarterback in the league and put them back there none of them would be successful behind that offensive line with the offensive coordinator that we had at the time um I think that Malik was also put in a very, very bad situation in that it was never meant for him to even see the field this year. It was known going into it from the beginning that he was going to be a quote unquote project and he was going to take some time to be able to develop. So to take a player who we already knew wasn't ready to take over the reins at that level behind an absolutely god awful offensive line with an absolutely horrible play caller in the mix with very few weapons to throw to. It was just a recipe for disaster. So um, I think that he definitely has some upside. He has some potential. He just needs some time to be able to develop in that and get to where he needs to go. And our primary focus absolutely has to be getting an offensive line that's at least mediocre at best so that any quarterback can be more successful behind it. Do you think going into next season, the team might want to look at a pretty much a solid backup for Derek Henry because how many years can he keep having 340 mm-hmm. carries? Like, mm-hmm. at what point does he hit the wall? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I honestly don't think we have bad backups um, for Derek now. Um, but I also think that one of the things that's happening in looking at the offensive coordinators that they have been um, – looking at thus far is that I think the goal is to expand the offense in a manner that is not so reliant on Derrick Henry because as you said as amazing as he is there's only so long that he can do what he's doing the way that he's doing it so by them bringing in an offensive coordinator that is going to be more in up with the pass game I think that'll um, take quite a bit of the load off of him and again going back to the original statement it starts in the trenches so um, fortifying that offensive line will help with that quite a bit to open up the pass game and take some of that burden off of him and um, giving our quarterback at least one more um, reliable and solid uh, target to throw to will help that as well. The one Titan I feel worse for is Traylon Burks. He was drafted to replace A.J. Brown, who's going to be in the Super Bowl, possibly a chance to win. Yeah. Burks has had a rough pack because he was expected to come in and do the same things. Now, Mm -hmm. you mentioned a complimentary we see on the other side. Would you mm-hmm. want a smaller, fast guy, or would you want a taller guy with good hands but not as much speed? Um, it it honestly depends on what they do with the 
other receivers that we have that are lying in wait. Um, we do have uh, another rookie uh, who got drafted and got hurt very, very early in the season that's a slot receiver that I think actually has a lot of upside that might be okay. Um, preferably if we brought in another receiver, I would prefer to see them bring in a veteran presence and I'm not even preferable to whether it be a small speedy guy or, you know, a big, you know, go down the field and just go get it type of guy. I'm, I'm good with either, to be honest, in a perfect world in my wonderful fantasy dream head. I'd love to see us go after D hop for a multitude of reasons. Um, but somebody like that, I, I just think we need a veteran presence that's currently healthy and ready um, to be in that wide receiver room with some of those guys, because all of our receivers are really, really young with the exception of um, Woods. And so I really think a heavy veteran presence who's healthy and ready right now, regardless of uh, whether, you know, we're talking about a slot or, you know, go up and get it high point guy would be beneficial to those young guys right now. When you look at Bud Dupree, you have a player who showed flashes of brilliance in Pittsburgh, but can't stand mm-hmm. on the field. He's played, I want to say, roughly 22 games in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Is he at this point in his career just a situational pass rusher, or do you want to rework that contract and see if you can either get from under it or kind of make it hurt less? I definitely um... – think that we need to at minimum look at restructuring the contract only because with us we're already over the cap space and we definitely have some serious needs that we need to try to um, obtain in this offseason and we don't have a whole lot of money uh, to work with to do that so at bare minimum uh, his contract needs to be looked at and reworked and then honestly he needs to prove why he should be here at all Um it was definitely a a chance taken on him to bring him in on the recovering side of an ACL injury. And, you know, like you said, he showed some really good flashes, but the consistency of being unable to be on the field regularly really hurt us, especially after we lost Landry right before the season started. So um, he, I think, just has a whole lot to prove in order to, you know, make the team and the fan base um, really, really, want to keep him here and really show, okay, this is why we brought you in in the first place. What's the worst job in your division? The Colts head coaching job or the Ooh. Texans head coaching job? If you were uh, an applicant, which job, if you offered, you would not take? If I was offered and not take, I would not take the Houston job um, because I personally feel like that organization in general is just will probably be awful if not one of the most awful organizations in the entire NFL. So if it was up to me, I would not go to Texas. Um, You don't want to go somewhere where the culture is problematic from the top down. Um, At least in the Indianapolis situation, Mm -hmm. their owner is questionable at best, (laughs) but at least, you know, that's a job to where you have some pieces you can work with. You have, you know, an administration that at least lets you do but um, that Texans job just sounds like a graveyard position to be in. Like, I'm going to be honest. If you're a black coach, I mean, I know they're looking at D'Amico Dem- Ryan's. Uh-huh. I mean, do anything else. Like, pick, pick up a Absolutely. job at Home Depot. Do something like Mulan's. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, do you know the Elite's first game? Uh, yes, we played the Arkansas Punishers in Arkansas our first game this year. 
Tanisha Richmond of the National League. Thank you so much for joining us on the Unemployed Podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.